0: My name is Justin. I'm at Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, we are not a uh, Southern Baptist church, but Birmingham is the, uh, the, the, bec- the, the buckle of the Southern Baptist belt, right? You know, so we got grafted into the family, uh, so to speak, or at least I did. You know, so I, I was at the event in Jacksonville a few years ago, and they asked me to come back, which is great. So great group of guys here. Uh, that's my email address. If you want to stay in touch, you're more than welcome to do that. If you have follow-up questions, or if there's anything I can ever uh, do for you, or help you with, or whatever, or you know, maybe I'll just fake it, and you'll never know the difference, right? So uh, so I joined staff uh, at Highlands in early 2009, and so this is like 13 and a half years there of, of being there, um, but about a year and a half ago, I actually changed positions. I had been the production director for however many, whatever, was that 11, 12, 12 years or something, And then about 18 months ago, I moved into a project manager role uh, with our IT and broader technology services teams. So, helping navigate infrastructure at all of our locations, construction projects, you know, vendor relations, capital expenditures, and things like that. It was a great uh, shift that, um, you know, I'd been in the nights and weekends thing for a long time. And so, this was a good change. This is a regular workflow during the week and it's a it's a weird feeling but a good feeling to not be on call you know Uh, hey this projector but I couldn't care less right now I don't know I'm sure there's somebody that'll figure that out right so it's a good position to to kind of be in Um, but there's a lot that I have kind of learned over over time you know Highlands if you're not familiar we uh, got 24 campuses uh, right now when I had started in 2009 we had four and so in my time there I was able to add a lot of systems that helped us scale and grow, not only for every location, but also as we were growing with staff and volunteer teams to be able to support all that. When I started, it was me and one other guy, and half of his work week was his, a graphic designer. Uh, and then when I transitioned out about a year and a half ago, between full-time and part-time, there were about 35 in the production department and, and you know, hundreds of volunteers and all this. So we had to do a lot of growing. Um, But as anybody growing knows, you can only grow at the extent that the framework is growing to support that growth, right? If you don't have a healthy structure and framework, then everything you're trying to do is just going to collapse inwardly on itself. And that's really what what, uh, having a healthy culture and having a healthy team boils down to. Because you can can have the greatest gear in the world. uh, You can have the greatest building in the world. But if you don't have a great team uh, that can run it and a team that wants to be there to run it, then none of the other stuff really even matters. And so I'm going to talk for a few minutes about what the idea uh, is of having a healthy team culture and what it takes to really have a healthy team. And then again, if you've got questions, we can talk about it. You can throw your hand. You can throw something at me, and interrupt me, whatever. That's totally cool. We can have a little bit more uh, flexibility with this. That's that's totally fine. Um, But hope is not an effective growth strategy. Uh, As John Maxwell always says, you can't hope that you're just gonna wake up tomorrow and be a better leader, or be able to bench press 400 pounds, or you know, whatever it is your, your hopes and dreams are, right? You have, to, you have to have a process of intentionally and strategically getting there. I have a dream of being able to eat my way through the entire Little Debbie lineup. I want to have one of every kind of Little, and this is a legit thing, every time I go to Walmart, I get a different Little Debbie dessert, okay? That doesn't just happen on accident. When you have life-changing dreams like that, you have to be intentional and strategic. So I know when I go to Walmart, I have to intentionally be looking for a different type of little Debbie cake to try, right? We all, hey, I know you guys may have great goals. I'm just setting real low level goals to talk about right here, right? And so it's like, am I gonna do the the, the fudge? No, I've already had fudge rounds. I've gotta do something else. Well, I'm gonna avoid the banana flavored thing because I hate banana. So we'll just push that off to the end of the line. Okay, the point is I have to be strategic. Anything we're doing, we have to be intentional with or else we're never going to get there. And building a healthy team is the exact same way. And so it's not just about um, having mission statements and core values and motivational cat posters on the walls. Like we actually have to be able to live out things that uphold and reinforce the values we say we espouse. Because we all want to say that we've got healthy values, and we, we, we do this, and we exist as a community of believers to love others and do anything short of sin to reach Jesus, and we embody excellence, and we're a community of, whatever all that, we say all of that, but what does that actually mean, and what am I actually doing to reinforce the beliefs that I actually have? And so, this all starts with the idea that in order to have a healthy team, you have to be able to build an effective team culture. And it's really, building really isn't the right word per se. In the, like we're used to hearing about building culture, and so I use it here. But when we think about building something, we think about starting it, and then finishing it, and then we move on to the next thing. I build a house, and then I'm done with it. And then I move on to another house, and I build that one, and I build a building, or I build a restaurant, or I build a team. But building culture isn't something that we just achieve and do, and we check it off the list, and we move on to the next thing. You, you, there's no place that you've arrived at to say that you crossed the finish line of building a healthy team culture. So it's really less about building culture and more about becoming culture. Because I, as the leader, have to be able to embody the type of culture and atmosphere I want my team to have. I read a book a few years ago. I wish I could remember which book it was. But the author said, as a leader, the culture you have on your team is either what you have built or what you have allowed. And sometimes we can get so focused on doing things and services and gear and systems that we allow the atmosphere to end up perhaps becoming unhealthy or it's becoming something that we really don't necessarily want it to be. But on the flip side, if I'm intentional about what we focus on and what we do and what we talk about and how we strategize and what I am trying to do and model, now I'm able to build a team environment the right way because I'm focusing on it. And I had a problem several years ago. I'm a big task person. Are any of you guys super task people? Like I'm, like I'll add stuff to a checklist just so I can cross it off. Like I'm that kind of a guy, right? And so I love managing projects and details and logistics and systems. And you know, my role now—that's like literally all I do, right? And so I was so systems heavy, and naturally, I am not a big people person. I'm not a super. Um, you know, high five, boy, encouraging, what like my idea of affirming your performance was reminding you that you're still getting a paycheck. It's like, what else do you need? Right? I mean, you still, you still, you still got paid this month, right? Okay. Well, then that's all you need from me. You don't need a pat on the back and a, you know, a, you know, a crown, whatever. I didn't understand how much people really need in order to kind of be fulfilled and healthy. And so what I then, I had this wake up call. I don't remember what triggered it, But I looked around at my team, and I realized that we had become a team of isolated uh, task doers that all just happened to work in the same area. We weren't a team. There was no cohesion there. There was no community. There was limited camaraderie. We had stuff happening with our volunteers that we weren't engaged with. We had people going through things. It's like, how did we get to this point? Well, we got to this point because of what I was focused on. I was setting the tone for the whole team that we're going to be a group that strives and achieves and gets stuff done and we take ground and we add new responsibilities and we're managing this and we're trying to see if we can now start doing this instead of this other team who can't do it at all and we know we can do it 10 times better. That's what our focus is on and that's what I was building. And the problem was that wasn't who I wanted our team to be and I knew in order for the team to change, I had to change. And so I had to change what I started valuing what I started talking about in our team meetings, what I started reminding people about. It wasn't just about getting stuff done, but it was about other things that I needed us to be focused on. Um, and several years ago, I, it, Netflix, I think it was back when they were still in their DVD in the mail phase, right? Um, they published this big manifesto about their company culture. And one of the things that they put in there that always, and I think you can actually still find it online if you Google like Netflix culture document or something like that. One of the things they put in there, they said, in their context, culture was what gets you rewarded, promoted, or let go. Rewarded, promoted, or let go. But I think for a lot of us, naturally as tech people and task people, how we think people get rewarded or promoted is because you do a lot of stuff and you're really good at it. And what gets people let go? You're bad at doing stuff or you can't get very much done. And so unintentionally, we build this atmosphere that everything we do revolves around productivity. But at the end of the day, everything we do really should revolve around people. Because whether you're kids ministry, singles ministry, tech ministry, worship ministry, adult ministry, rec ministry, pet ministry, facilities ministry, whatever, we all focus on the first word. But it's all ministry at the end of the day. It's all everything we do is a people-related business. And if I am not intentionally and strategically putting energy into building a team-first environment, then we are going to suffer, and we are not going to end up with a healthy culture. We're going to end up being a team of overworked, you know, uh, task doers that all we care about is getting stuff done. It's going to be an unhealthy environment. And so I have to make sure that in my own behavior that I am reinforcing the things that actually back up the motivational cat posters on the wall and the team values and the mission statements that we've got. Okay, my, my life has to be able to model those types of things. So I have to build or really become a healthy team culture, but I also have to be able to resolve conflict in a healthy way in order to have a healthy team. And a lot of us in ministry are scared of uh, the word conflict. Um, a lot of times we go way overboard to gloss over it or ignore it. Oh, it's a personality difference. Or, you know, oh, we're just going to extend a lot of grace, you know, because Jesus gave a lot of people grace. And he really, you know, what, what Jesus called people to change. You know, he didn't just give them grace indefinitely. He said, okay, here's where we're at, but here's what we need to do. And sometimes in ministry, we forget that the next step towards conflict and conflict is really nothing more than we are different. You and I, I see it this way. You see it this way. And because we see it differently, there's a conflicting of opinions or a conflicting of beliefs, perspectives. We are different. That is not inherently bad. It is not bad that we are different because we are all made to be different. We're all very unique people. Now, it, in ministry, can be a, a good versus bad scenario if it's a morality type of a thing. Yes, so there, is a, you know, there are certain blacks, black and white kind of things there. But the next step of conflict, of realizing the differences, is confrontation which is another word that we are often scared of in ministry because we think it's, it's a bad thing, and it's not a bad thing. To confront something simply means to turn towards it and face it and address it. <clears throat> Con, with, front, with my front. I'm going to address it with my front. I'm going to not ignore it. I'm not going to gloss over it or pretend like it doesn't exist or sweep it under the rug. I'm not scared of it. I'm just going to face it and acknowledge that it exists. And we have to be able to do that in a healthy way. But being able to do it in a healthy way means a few things. One, it means we have to be able to honor the other people involved because it can be really easy for it to be an us versus them. I am always right. You are always wrong. Um, I'm in production. I'm always right. You are on the creative team. Therefore, you are always behind schedule. You know, I've got this prejudice sometimes about certain people or their role or their department which influences my, my perpetual perception about conflict whether it's real or perceived and so I'm going to go into every scenario a lot of times already thinking you are wrong and I am right because you have a past of being late or doing it wrong or not communicating and so I'm now going to assume that that's the same way again or because you're in this other department and that department never plans ahead and they never think and they never do and they're probably poorly led and we could probably do it better if we were only asked to take charge, whatever. And so I've got this preconceived notion that kind of travels with me in every situation that I'm in. And a lot of times it can be easy to shut other people down or ignore them or minimize them uh, just just because of that prejudice that we carry. But it's important that in every situation we are able to remember that people are people and they all matter and they all have value. And it's my job to make sure they still feel valued even after we have confronted and turned towards these differences. We now have differences. That does, again, it doesn't mean that either one of us is right or wrong. It means that we're different. And so if I need to address a difference of opinion with the fact that um, my quality standards, uh, you know, for a lighting op are different than what you think they should be. You're the volunteer and I'm the staff person. And you know, we've got a difference of opinion here. How do I address that or confront that in a healthy way to where that person still feels valued and, feels, and doesn't feel like I'm just steamrolling them because they're not good and they're not worthy and they don't deserve it. Or I'm working with the kids ministry for the upcoming VBS and once again, they have poorly communicated and they have dropped the ball and they've forgotten about the content they're supposed to get and it all starts tomorrow morning and they have once again screwed this up and they know that they screwed it up. Do they need me to remind them that they screwed it up? Okay, We've turned towards this situation. We've realized there's conflict now. But is there a way for me to value and honor that person in this situation, even though we see it, we're coming from different perspectives? Like, again, it's not as who's superior to the other one. We're different. We're, we're on the same level. We're both people. So how can I help create value and add value in you um, through this situation? A lot of times we, um, we also may kind of have a filter of however we've been wounded or treated in the past, like... I disagree with you, and you remember all those other times that you disagreed with me and you were wrong, you know, about how we should spend the money, or, you know, our boss doesn't think we should do the thing, and I can think of a list of, like, five different ways I could say I told you so about other times we've disagreed before. A lot of times what has happened in the past can become that filter we look through for how we work with it again. This volunteer has been late a million times in the past. They never listen. They never learn. And so... When I confront them about it here, I've got a why were you late? Blah, blah, blah. And my past perception can color that. But what, is that what they really need right now? Or maybe they had a relative you know, uh, with a medical emergency and they're running late because they just came from the hospital, right? So when I'm confronting the differences that I have with somebody else, I have to remember that it's a people first scenario. And I have to be able to take a deep breath. Can I put myself in their shoes? Can I have a little bit of grace? Um, is there a way to try to see this from their perspective? Because as um, my, my boss, <clears throat> the gentleman that hired me, he always you know, it, it repeated over and, and imprinted it on me over and over again. I don't care who was wrong. I don't care whose fault it was. I don't care who did what. You are always going to be the first one to apologize and initiate the resolution to the issue. Always. That was always his expectation for the leaders that led teams directly under him. And I've always kind of carried that. Like, I have to understand that if I see myself as a leader, and if I see myself as an influencer in our ministry, I have to be willing to take the first step and own whatever I might or might not have done, regardless of how big or little of a deal it was. Yes, the kids department probably screwed up again for their VBS kind of a thing. But when I open the conversation with them, do I need to lead with, man, you guys how can you guys stop screwing all this stuff up? I'm like, is like, can y'all hire somebody smarter? Is that what we need to do? Can I help you find somebody? Like, that's not how I want to start that conversation. Maybe I can start that conversation with a, hey, I don't know if I really communicated and reminded you guys well enough of some of the timelines and the things we needed to do here. Are there things I could do differently next time? that can help set you guys up for success with this. A leader is always willing to take on more responsibility and own it more than the other people are. And, my, and it doesn't matter if we've got two leaders, what, doesn't matter who's peers and who's not or whatever else. I always have to be willing to take the first step. That's a sign of humility. And so I'm gonna honor other people, but I also have to have the humility to realize it's never 100% one person and 0% the other person. And again, if, if I see it as red and he sees it as blue, it doesn't mean either one of us is wrong, but maybe I need to spend some time trying to see it from their perspective also instead of being so locked down into how I see it. And this is, I want to convince everybody to come to my side of the fence. Maybe I need to try to spend some time in their shoes to see what it's like for them, okay? Um, so I, uh, are y'all familiar with, um, it's a, like a, a marriage uh, book, Love and Respect. It's like a small group curriculum also, Okay. There's a thing in there the author talks about. He calls it the crazy cycle. And what happens is this person does something to make this person mad, and then this person does something because of that to make this person mad, which leads this person to do something to make this person mad. And it's just a cycle that continues ad infinitum, right? And somewhere, I might have been on like a DVD uh, curriculum they did for this. Somebody asked um, the author, how do you stop the crazy cycle? And he said whoever in the relationship sees themselves as the most mature is always the one that's willing to take the first step. And so I always gave myself that challenge in a work environment. I need to always be the one to take the first step. I am always going to, even if I have to eat crow and look like a doggone fool, I am going to be the one that takes the first step because that's also what usually gets people to open up. And if it's, if, if I'm having to confront them about an attitude or a behavior thing, maybe me taking the first step is what kind of cracks the ice and gets them to open up about what's really going on and why they're really acting a certain way. Or maybe me share, you know, owning it in this other department says, you know what, you know, be honest with you, it really wasn't. Y'all didn't do anything at all wrong. We just really struggled and we dropped the ball and we screwed it up. Will you guys, you know, help us, you know, can can you come to some of our team meetings and advise us on how we can blah, blah, blah. Maybe I can grow in influence because of how I handle this particular situation, but I have to be able to do this in a healthy way. Um, I also, when it comes to my volunteers, and, and this is a big piece, you know, working with peers or my bosses is one thing. But working with volunteers is a whole new world entirely. A lot of times we can be afraid of addressing conflict because we unintentionally prioritize talent over character. And it's like, if I confront that person, what if they get mad and leave the team? They're my best front of house guy. We've got Easter services coming up. I can't afford to lose that guy. And so maybe I'll just kind of let this stuff slide for a while because I really need that guy to stick around. Or I'm afraid if I say something to this person, they're going to get offended. And they just asked their brother-in-law to join the team. And he's one of my best handheld camera people. I can't afford to lose two people, you know. And so we rationalize why it's okay for us to let this slide. And so now we're saying it's more important for you to be good at something or to boost my team numbers than it is for me to do my job as a spiritual leader and help develop your character and help you walk through some of these things to keep the team healthy, okay? So we have to make sure we guard against that, and that's why resolving the conflict is critical. Not, like, I can address it and acknowledge it, but if I don't resolve it, I really haven't done anything at the end of the day, okay? And when I do it in a healthy way and prioritize other people, It leads to an atmosphere of trust and openness. People feel like they can engage with me and have conversations with me, and I'm not immediately gonna get defensive, or blame them, or push back at another team, or say that somebody else caused the problem. It's gonna make people a lot more willing to work with me on things and even approach me first, because they feel like I'm somebody safe that they can interact with, okay? So we're gonna build or become a healthy team culture. We're going to resolve conflict, and because this is a church event, I had to have alliteration, so we've got another C here for point number three, right? Because that's, that's godly, right? Um, developing community, and again, it has to be strategic, because we say all the time, we're a team, and you know, we do life together, and we're a family. Well, what does that really mean? You know? And am I actually doing things that reinforce that belief? Because it's not about just saying it or believing it or feeling it but it's about the things that I'm physically doing to encourage the idea of community. So during the week, do we do anything to stay in touch with the volunteers or do we only care about them when they're accepting a planning center invite, right? Um, I can take prayer requests on Sunday and maybe follow up with people during the week to see what's going on in their personal life and how things are going. I can send them a happy birthday thing and shout them out on Facebook and I can invite somebody to lunch or whatever. What am I doing intentionally to add value to the people on our team because all volunteers in every area of ministry want the same things. They want to know that they matter and they want to be around other people uh, that know who they are and, and care about them as a person, right? And so people are serving because they want to make a difference, but they want to do it with a people that they feel like they're part of a community where they're not just a number, they're a face and a name and people know about them and they know their life. So what am I doing to be able to reinforce that? And me being a very task heavy, non-people person, I had to actually start adding this into my calendar every week. When I was the direct one leading our volunteer team at the broadcast campus, I had to set aside windows of time to text people or send emails or to put stuff on social media. Like I had to block it out or else I'd forget about it. I just get so busy doing work, you know, you realize, that, oh, the whole day's gone and I've just been, you know, treading water. Or wow, it's been a whole month. And I haven't made any progress on that other thing. Well, we can just get so busy doing stuff that it's really easy to forget about things like this, especially because they sometimes something that doesn't have a firm deadline on it can sometimes seem less important. It's like, well, I don't need to email that guy today. I can just do it tomorrow. You know, like there's no reason why I've got to email him on a Tuesday instead of a Wednesday. It's not a big deal, you know. And then Wednesday comes, and we get busy, and we make the same excuse, and now it's next Thursday, and then it's the Tuesday after that, and then it's Febtober, you know, and we've blown through however many, might, nobody caught that, okay, whatever. Uh, it, we've blown through however many months and, we, and we're, we're back to where we started. It's like, the, it's like the saying at the beginning, hope is not a, a growth strategy. I can't hope that we have a community if I'm, not, if I'm not doing anything to intentionally get there. And so I have to be able to do things with my team to build that, When one of the things that I had to do with, you know, because I'd mentioned earlier about how we got so uh, task focused as a team that we really weren't very teamy. And I really felt there was a lot of disconnect between me and other people on the team. I was really becoming very disconnected and disengaged from what was going on. And so I made a decision to put together uh, a team survey to send out to everybody. It was like 10 or 12 or 15 questions, however many it was you know, asking for people's feedback. You know, what do you enjoy the most about your job? What do you enjoy the least? Are there things you wish you could do more of? Um, And then I was asking questions about me. You know, how, how do you feel Justin is engaged in your life and knows what's going on? Do you feel like you have enough time with him? Do you feel like he knows you and cares about you? And I had people asking me, man, why isn't this uh, and this was really just a sign of where we'd gotten culture-wise. It's was like, why isn't this anonymous? I feel like if I say stuff on here, I'm going to get blasted or I'm going to get fired or I'm going to lose my job. I'd unintentionally turned the team into this performance-based thing. And I was like, I was like, guys, the reason why I need people's names on it is because I need to know who to talk to to fix the problems. Like if you feel a disconnect with me or like I don't understand you, if this is an anonymous survey, I don't know who to go talk to to fix the problem. And so I'm asking that you give me a chance to learn what's going on so that I can work on fixing it. And who? When you, when you ask people to shoot you point blank, you know, and they do, uh, sometimes with multiple bullets uh, from different caliber guns, right? And, whew, it, it, it can hurt, you know. And I got a lot of very, very direct and, and painful at times feedback about things. But again, I wasn't intentional steering in that direction. It had become something else, and part of the course correction was the very painful reality of I had to do a lot different if I really wanted to build a sense of community on the team. And so I had to make it a point that when I got people's feedback from this thing, it was not about telling them that they were wrong. Well, the reason why I didn't call you, you know, when your mom was in the hospital is but like, they don't want to hear my rationale or my excuses. They just want me to know, and they want me to change. And so it was a very, uh, hey, thanks for the feedback. you know And I had to be very intentional about putting things into practice that showed that I was changing as a leader and that we were gonna change as a team. And it took a lot of time, but being willing to do that earned me a whole lot of street cred and openness and trust with the team because they saw how I handled it and they saw what I was willing to do to build that healthy sense of community on our team. They saw how important it was for me to make that happen. And our volunteers need to be able to feel the same thing because they're going through stuff in life. They've got family stuff and job stuff and, you know, pet Fluffy's got to get a, you know, knee replacement, you know, for puppy, whatever. I don't know. And they've got stuff going on that really bothers them. And they need to feel like I care about that and I care about them for more than what they do on Sunday. Okay, Bob, thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. You know, they need more than that out of me. And so I have to be intentional Uh, with what I'm doing and so building a a healthy culture resolving conflict uh, in a healthy way developing uh, a healthy community and so that's that's what uh, that's what I think it requires in order to build a healthy team so we've hit that kind of at a higher level Um, we've got plenty of time to do some Q&A if you if anybody wants to ask questions or anything or if you guys want we can just stare awkwardly at each other or we can all go eat Doritos there's probably plenty left out there Okay. planning ahead, right? He's going to fill the awkward silence with the ruffling of the bag and the crunching of the chips. Yeah. Yeah. Bueller? Bueller? Okay. Um, but anyway. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. We'll have 12 baskets of leftovers. It'll be great. Um, anybody, anybody have anything as a follow-up on any of this? Anything you've dealt with in your situation or any questions on any of this of how we've handled some stuff or?
1: So back at your church. Yep
0: when you realized that your, uh, your culture was bad and you were correcting it, yeah. at what point was there any sort of uh, point in that process of developing the culture that you said, okay, we're finally getting to a good spot? And what made you make that decision to say that? Yeah, um, again, I don't remember exactly what happened that triggered the moment, or it may have just honestly been me waking up one day and realizing, holy smokes, we are, you know, Eight people going in eight different directions, or what it, whatever it was, right? And just there was like a there, there was a, there was a moment. Yeah. I don't remember what the trigger was, and it was like I've got to figure out how to change. it. And that's when I, I decided to do the survey thing, okay. and survey, yeah, and really just because I needed to know, yeah. I needed everybody, I needed to be able to get the feedback from everybody, and um, I needed to be able to then sit down with everybody. But I knew that instead of just meeting with people one on one and talking about stuff. I wanted to do like a survey because that would give people time to think about it and they didn't have to worry about did I say something in the moment that accidentally cost me my job or I don't feel like I can be transparent enough because we're sitting right here across the desk from each other. So I, I felt that that was the way to go. It just kind of asking people, I just need you to... And some people that, you know, maybe barely made it through high school and are marginally literate, you know, you know they give me like three... Word answers, right? And then some people it's just, and it's like, man, how long has this stuff been building up? You know? Yeah. yeah. And like, there are some people, that's what it felt like. Yeah. It's like, I've been waiting for the opportunity to unload on you, and here it is. And then it's like, and you didn't even acknowledge when my team won the Super Bowl. And my friend is shorter than me, and and you made fun of him. That one, they're just grasping for straws. At all, you know, just random things. It's like okay, we've we've kind of okay. I get it. I, I get it. Maybe we can stop now. You know. But then it was like I like it was painful, like to hear to get some of the. And I've still got all the responses saved and everything. Yeah, you know. And it's like I really thought I was doing a good job, and you know I realized that I I wasn't. But then reading the feedback, it's like I didn't realize it was that bad, man. Okay, you know. Um, but I had to kind of realize that I'm not. This this isn't about me. Like when I'm leading a team, it's not about me. It's about my job as a leader is to take care of the people that are working for me and to steward them and nurture them and help them grow. And so I had to be like, okay, get in the right mindset. This is about helping them succeed. Like I'm responsible for their family's livelihood. You know, like, they're paying bills because I asked them to come and take this job. If they're disgruntled or frustrated, what, what am I doing to their home life now because of what they have to deal with coming to work every day, right? And so I had to realize, I had to completely reframe it. Like, I'm having these conversations and working through this for their good. Not, it's not about me. And so that made it then easier to sit down and have the conversations about, well, what do you need? What can I do? How can I serve you? How can I fix this? And then I had to just be very intentional of knowing what everybody needed and how I could try to help do some of that on a regular basis. See any improvement with your production, like services and stuff like that? Your performance. Um. Any of that yeah. Not changing your culture. Not necessarily because there were there were groups of people that were that were very close already. Okay. You know, so there. there were, it's not like everybody hated each other. That wasn't necessarily. That wasn't the case. We weren't like everybody was miserable at work kind of a thing, but I was so disconnected from them relationally that they were like doing things kind of in spite of, like despite my presence, not necessarily because of my presence, and so I needed to get it to the point where when I was around, we were still able to perpetuate a healthy environment, and it wasn't like, what is he doing? What, what's he? Was like, is he trying to find something to complain about? What's, what's this guy doing here, right? And that was really the piece that that I felt like needed to change in those environments. I don't know if that answered your question. Personal growth thing and actually like instilling culture. Well, but it was, it was kind of both because I also was like, you know, we're a, you know, we're a team, we're a production family, but I wasn't doing anything to reinforce that, you know? And so I knew that I had to physically start doing things to strengthen the relationships with those people to create that, True feeling, you know. That was happening, i sorry, I have so many follow-ups. No, no, that's no, fine. Because <laughs> I'm seeing relations here. Uh, the volunteers that served underneath the staff, did you see change with them? Yeah, so we, um, at, at that time, I had a guy on my team um, that was, his specific duty was managing volunteers. And he was a high-touch, um, high, per, you know, outgoing personality, whatever else. And I'd always been very clear with what I needed that team to be able to do, and I felt like that was all moving in a healthy direction, that was all fine, because he was able to do what I needed him, what I, like he was implementing the vision I had for that team. The problem was I had vision for the volunteer team being great and healthy culture, uh, but I wasn't doing the same thing for the staff team. So it was like, it was up here and it was down here, there was just a gap here, right? And so we were fortunate in that regard that the volunteer situation was, was going okay. It always, I mean, it needed room for improvement. Like I was, one of the pieces where we were struggling was the team had grown and there wasn't enough volunteer team leadership to uh, create regular points of contact with every team member. And so even though we were trying to stay in touch with people, there just weren't enough cycles in the day for a couple of top-level people to regularly stay in touch with a hundred-and-something volunteers. And so what we realized with that was we need to have another layer of volunteer leadership whose really key role on the team is helping us lead their fellow volunteers, almost like small group leaders or pastoral care leaders or something. So we started finding other people on the team. Hey, instead of serving on camera twice a month, would you be willing to do once a month, but then try to spend some time during the week to shoot some people a text or an email or just try to stay connected with them in that way, that would really help us out as a staff. That's the move that we ended up making to try to strengthen that piece of it. So if that hopefully that answers some of your questions. Yeah. Yeah. But all that took kind of over period of years, I'm guessing. Yeah, it probably I mean it probably took you know, eighteen months or whatever. For us to kind of i feel i felt like to get it back in a healthier direction so but i mean it it got i felt like it got to a pretty good place so we we have a multi-campus setup as well yep and we did some evaluation stuff recently and one of the things we heard across all campuses was a lack of community across campuses Mm -hmm. did you struggle with that anyway Find that you want. Yeah, and A sense of community across the sure. And, it, over nine, nine miles apart between campus, but but even even though you're nine miles, it can feel like completely different worlds and personalities and Culture. cultures because of how the leaders are and what community they're in. Yeah, totally, I totally get that. So um, we had to start doing regular gatherings where we would try to bring campus people together to central locations to mix and mingle. Um, because I wanted everybody to feel part of a bigger picture. Um, and honestly, this could, this could even work for a single site church if you have people that serve on different Sundays or different service times or even a, a fellowship hall service or a chapel service versus a main sanctuary service. You've got groups of teams that, teammates that never interact with each other. We're doing the same thing, the same type of thing, you know, maybe even at the same address. We just literally never see each other, and so we lose perspective of what it's like to be part of a bigger team with other people that are doing this. And that's really what we tried to, that's what we tried to solve, is we want you to feel like you're part of something bigger than just the seat you sit in on the Sunday you serve at the address that you drive to. And so that was where it was, okay, how can we get people from multiple campuses and whatever together so they can meet each other. Maybe we do some kind of, you know, we do door prizes or competitions or games or sit next to people from a different campus so that you're meeting other people. How can we kind of create some community there? Um, we did that. Then we started doing that with worship teams as well. So it wasn't just production, but we wanted to create that bond with worship folks because sometimes there can be such a disconnect between the stage and the booth. And we wanted to kind of strengthen that relationship as well. Um, we uh, started doing uh, regular, like centralized training events where um, it, the focus was less on social community and it was more on, you know, we're doing a, a lighting workshop at this particular location. And so we want all the lighting people that are available to come here to this place, you know, on a Saturday or whatever. We'll cater in lunch and we're going to have our staff there to show you s- some things about all this. Um, that we started doing regular um, phone calls and then Zoom calls uh, like once a week with different campus leaders where you could all hop on and we would talk through things together. Like we had a lot of portable campuses. So we would get the portable guys together on a call so that they could talk about things that were applicable to them. How do you guys deal with this challenge when you're having to set up you know, at 4:30 on a Sunday. You know, where are you finding extra setup people at, or how are you troubleshooting your stuff if you've only got 30 minutes before sound check? And they would learn from each other in those kinds of situations because they're the ones doing it all the time. Um, and we would use those as opportunities to kind of reinfuse vision and culture, or we'd update people on, hey, here's what you know we're thinking for a Christmas service flow, and here's how that's going to affect all you guys. Um, and so it's the concept of there's really no such thing as too much communication. So the more information I get in people's hands, the better, because they're going to feel valued. They're going to feel like they're part of something special when they're in the know. That's a big thing, especially if it's new vision. People get excited about knowing that, right? And then the other piece is sometimes I think we undersell what volunteers are capable of. And it's, oh, well, a volunteer, that's too much for them, so I'll just get a contract guy or a staff guy. I think we've got volunteers that love being challenged and stretched. And so when we present opportunities to them of how they can get trained or how they can get extra hands-on time or extra experience, I think there are a lot of people that jump at that and they get more excited about it. And that becomes a passion that fuels them and it helps them avoid burnout. Because you burn out like an engine burns out because it runs out of you know, oil or gas. Like the things that fuel it and keep it running, it runs out and it overheats and it explodes. And so what fuels our teams and keeps them running and keeps them from burning out? It's probably vision, understanding what they're doing and how it makes a difference. Probably community, feeling like they matter and people know about them and people care about them. But it's also some element of like investment and passion, like, wow, look at what I just did. That was really cool. Now I wonder about this. Can I do this other thing over here? Well, Well, what about that over there? I think there's a natural curiosity inside a lot of people that could be fed if we were willing to defeat it. And I think that then fuels the creativity and the interest in coming back week after week is the excitement of, I wonder what other stuff I can figure out. I wonder what new thing I can you know, learn or problem I can solve or whatever. So we just, how can we take those things and involve our campus people to where they're not, it was also scalable. Like how can I avoid having to go to 12 different campuses at once? Can we just bring people to regional hubs and do this three times? but let's try to get everybody together and scratch some of the same itches. That's a really long answer for your question, but hopefully it was thorough, yeah. And we've been in here a while, too, and it's kind of warm, so if you need to go, that's okay. There's still Doritos out there. So, all right. Some <laughs> like, uh, anyway, anybody, anybody got anything else for now? If not, we're, I mean, we're good. We're free to go, I think. hear some good, uh, best practices on building community within the volunteer team. Yeah. I mean, the birthday cards are great. The annual appreciation banquets are is great. Yeah. The planning center communication is great, making sure everybody knows what's going on. But what are some of the things that y'all have done that you've just seen as big wins as it relates to nurturing volunteers? For example, how often do you have these large get-togethers to maybe go back and to watch services and to critique them and just right. talk about ways that things could go better? Yeah, does, I mean, do any you guys have anything you want to share uh, for Ron? Anybody doing anything that seems to be working for y'all. I don't need to monopolize this. It's not like we're the only church in America, right? I'm sure y'all are doing some of this. Based on what you're saying, like with the yeah. planning Center, I had a complaint uh, several months ago. And I'll come back to that. Because we are using Planning Center to do our scheduling and disseminate information, they now feel that it's less personal. Mm-hmm. because They're not getting a text message every week with, hey, here's what's happening on Sunday, and I need this and this and this set up on the stage. Like, they, they like that personal touch of getting a text message, and they found it frustrating that we were using this sterile system to disseminate this information. But from our perspective, it's a, well, we want to be able to disseminate the information in a, this environment so that everyone has it quickly and mm-hmm. we can actually do ministry. And how yeah. how out it? how to get them to understand that was a challenge. Yeah. How long have you been using it? Years. Yeah. It's, a it, it's one of those yeah, just welling up, up and, and getting. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Okay. Well, all at uh, well up something up. on that, and then I'll come back to, to Ron's uh, point. We, we would use Planning Center for scheduling related things, but anything else that was team wide, updates, culture, vision, whatever else, I would just do that as a non Planning Center email. So that it clearly said it was coming directly from me instead of through a third party. I wanted to differentiate, so to speak. you know, this is coming from me. This is a personal communication from me to the team, as opposed to it perhaps getting lumped in or even categorized or looked over the same way a scheduling thing might. I wanted it to look and feel a little bit different, you know. Um, and even with uh, the planning center piece, you, know, we at times would still text people to, to follow up on things. <coughs> You know, it's like it could be a, hey, I know you confirmed in planning center. We're l- really looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. How's your week been going? You know, and so I'm killing two, two birds with one stone. I'm, I'm reminding them yet again that they're coming to serve. Please don't ghost me. But it's also kind of a social thing that, hey, how's your week been going? Right. So I can still kind of follow up with them in that regard. And there may be people on your teams that need that level of personal touch that others don't but it may be good to just kind of note who the handful are and make sure that you guys are just being intentional and strategic with them. Um, that may be something to, to think about because everybody may not want the regular text message from you. They're probably... A handful, so... I'm sorry? He is a handful. So... <laughs> well, they, then, it, then it's perfect. Um... I still text uh, even before Planning Center and text. Well, we would mail out a schedule, and they would get it in the mail. And then every Saturday, they, they would get a call from me, mm-hmm. uh, each one of us. And then now that we're using Plancy, even though they get the reminder, it doesn't matter if I'm in Ethiopia or going to be there on Sunday, they still get a text from me on some, on Saturday night saying, you know, like you said, you know, how's your week going? Or it something, may be something stupid. I may tell them a joke or I may do something theological. And then, hey, I'm just checking to see if you're good for it. Yeah. And, and it's good to still have personal touch. Because, again, there are people that respond to that. There are some people that are like, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this twice? Like, he emailed me and he did the thing, right? Um, there's always also a line of, I'm still doing this because I've always done it. Is it still the most efficient way to do things? And everybody's situation is different. So if you've been, you know, emailing everybody personally and now you're still doing that even though you're using Planning Center, well, okay, is this the most efficient use of my time? Is there a win for this? Is there a specific reason I'm still doing it this way as opposed to reinvesting my time and energy in something else? You know, only you can answer that question. Everybody's situation is different, but we need to ask the question. Um, But... um, another piece of it you know maybe there um and maybe you don't have the time to do some of that maybe there's somebody on your team that does have the time and would love to do that you know maybe there's somebody that's real sociable and outgoing or maybe they're not even on your team it's the spouse of a team member that everybody knows and loves and you know is the lady that's kind of like the team mom and she would be happy to send out some of those text messages during the week. Hey, you know, staying praying for you and your family. Can't wait to see you guys on Sunday. Tell Martha I said hello, whatever. Maybe there's somebody that has that gift of exhortation or whatever that would love to do that for your team that's not you, and now it frees you up to do some other kind of a thing, you know? So you can use, non, you can use people in non-technical roles and still help your team, because they're freeing other people up to do other things. You know, that that's a, a piece of this. Um, I will say, coming back to, to Ron's question, once we, after a while, we started trying to keep a little, not like a database, but we, you know, kind of compare notes on things about some of our volunteers. We began intentionally scheduling certain people together because we knew they had common interests. They just didn't know they had common interests yet. And so like, oh, you like cars? Hmm, there's a guy that serves on the alternating Sunday that likes cars. Let me start putting these guys together and see if they start talking shop about whatever, right? And so we started doing that with a handful of people and a lot of really great relationships blossomed out of that because between services, when you're sitting around, what what do you do? Oh, what do you do? Oh, really? Wow, you know, it just kind of took off, you know? Um, We did that with several ladies on our team because at the time, we only had a handful of ladies and I really felt like we needed to have more of a feminine presence. It didn't need to be 98% guys, right? And so we tried scheduling some of the ladies together to build some of that momentum, but also so people could see, oh, we've got like an all-female camera crew today. Maybe that's going to inspire some young lady in the audience to want to volunteer because she sees that there's all camera girls today instead of camera guys. It's like, well, I could do that, you know, and may- who knows, right? Maybe we can try to be strategic and take advantage of people's kind of common ground with some of that. Um, for years, we had like a, a separate ladies' ministry inside the team that they would do, you know, girl gatherings and get-togethers and small group and potluck and whatever. You know, they'd go to different people's houses and do things. And they built it was an incredible kind of a sub-community that was built on the production team. And it really grew. And it became, became one of the best recruiting tools for us is because they would invite their friends to join the production team just so they could invite them to the women's production team social outing. You know, it's like, oh, I'd love for, you know, Susan to come to the cookout. Well, why don't you just ask her to come and serve on the team, too? Then she'll be able to come to the cookout, and we'll get to see her on Sunday when she serves. It it was that kind of a thing. And so, again, and, well, I don't know anything technical. That's great. Can you email? Perfect. Then you can help us schedule, and you can keep track of our scheduling spreadsheet. You don't have to be technical to do that, but you're still part of the team. And so we would find ways to work people in like that, you know, where we were able to find some kind of common ground, getting to know them a little bit. So... Maybe that answered some of your question, Ron. So, anything else? Anybody got anything? Did you feel like your staff team, the whole staff team, impacted your volunteer team or vice versa? Or was it all in your mind together? Um, there, were, there were pieces that I felt it was, it was connected. Like the one area where I felt there was the strongest correlation was at our off-site campuses, how many of you guys have, or multi-site, by the way, I'm just curious, a couple, okay. At our off-site campuses, if the production leader there had an unhealthy view of the central production people, then that would trickle down into their production team. So if one of our central people went to that campus just to kind of observe or hang out or troubleshoot or fix something, it was immediately the oh, the cops are here. They're coming to slap us on the wrist and tell us we did something wrong. Oh, look, there's a central guy here telling us how we're not as good as the broadcast campus. And that kind of, it was that mentality because the campus production staff person felt that way about the central people and maybe without even realizing it was communicating that same type of attitude to their team there at the campus. And so we had to be really strategic and intentional about trying to work through that. And how can we get our campus people in more relational connection with central people, so there was a better and healthier dynamic there, and the communication was better, the respect was better, the, you know, camaraderie was better, so that when they showed up at the campus, it was a, hey, we're excited to see you, not a, hey, we're dreading whatever problem you're about to point out. So, that was, that was a big piece.